something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast, will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Movie Crush, uh, Friday interview edition, friends and family edition. Uh, I had the great pleasure today of having my old friend Jason Jenkins in here. Uh, Jason and I went to college together. Uh, we uh, we worked at Mexicali Grill in Athens, Georgia together, and we, in fact, were hired on the very same day. And Jason uh, became a good friend right away, and as I tell him, I had the great opportunity to tell someone something face-to-face that was meaningful uh, which is something that everyone should do when you get the chance. And I was going to put it in an email over the years, but I finally got to sit down with Jason and tell him what a um, impact he had on my life. Uh, he was a big influence culturally, introduced me to so many things, took my life in a in a direction culturally that uh, I was might not have gone in otherwise. Who knows? And I, I listed off some things that he introduced me to. And then since we recorded, I kept thinking of more things, and I texted him. Uh, things like D'Angelo and Frank Sinatra in earnest. And uh, it, it just the list goes on and on. Jason's a great dude. He has uh, done a very interesting thing with his lifestyle in that he uprooted his family in the States and said, we're going to live all over the world. And he's lived in Tokyo and Spain and Malaysia and Thailand and Mexico. And it's really cool. He's got a blog and a podcast uh, called An Epic Education, where he details this stuff. And if you are interested in doing something radical with your life and moving your family all over the world, uh, Jason's a good person to get some good advice from, and he is open to it. Great guy, great old friend, and we had a wonderful talk about his movie crush, uh, the fantastic Hal Ashby, Peter Sellers, Jim from 1979, Being There. So here we go with Jason Jenkins on Being There. Being There. 
Cheers. Pull that a little closer. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. So, That's right. You can sit back. You can just pull the mic. Do right. whatever you need to do to be comfortable. Take yeah, your pants we, off. Um, we were... And we came back to Japan about six months ago. Okay. And before that, we were in Mexico for about two years. Right. We were, we were in the Yucatan I Peninsula. I wanted to get down for, to Mexico, man. Would have been great to see it. It's a, it's a killer place. It gets a really bad rap here. Yeah. And I mean, deservedly so. There's some uh, some rough spots. But to sure. like throw the whole country out is ridiculous. Right. And that's a whole conversation. It looks amazing. Emily and I want to go to Oaxaca at some point. Oh, right, 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 yeah. right. Okay. Uh, the, that's My sister got married there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. She got married six years ago at this nice. really cool place called Puerto Escondido. Uh-huh. And then it's the best wedding I've ever – best family memory we've ever had. It was wow. A, it's amazing. Like, you know, the bioluminescence where, you, you know, the glow-in-the-dark stuff. Yeah. And then, like, you know, releasing sea turtles, your your girl would love it. And yeah. you would love it just because it's kind of laid back and not crowded. Well, uh, we're big into Frida Kahlo, too. So it's right. a lifelong dream to go to the Casa yeah. Azul. Did I tell you, like, when, when my girl and I went to uh, Casa Azul, we listened to – the stuff you should know. Oh, really? On uh, Frida Kahlo. On Frida Kahlo beforehand, oh, nice. and it was it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Mexico City. If you want a city escape, yeah. Mexico City rocks. Yeah. If it was a little more stable, we would live there. Really? I mean, as far as museums and food and culture and events and like cool neighborhoods to uh-huh. walk around, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. It looks like Europe in a lot of ways. Well, just for the benefit of the listener, uh, mm. I want to explain kind of. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Because I want to plug what you got going on, too, because you okay. – uh, this is my friend Jason from college, which we'll get into that in a second, too, because okay. I have a lot of, like, thanks that I need to give you that's long overdue <laughs> for some things. <laughs> I don't know about that, but okay. But uh, you made a radical choice, uh, which is, you know, it's only radical in view of the regular American way. Okay. Uh, but the radical choice many years ago when you got married and had kids to do something a little different – with your life and to move all around the world with your family. And uh, you have started, what all do you have now? Do you have a podcast and a blog or you still have the blog? Oh, definitely got the blog going on. The podcast has been on hiatus for about a year now. Okay. Well, because see, my guests, this is actually my first experience to have a podcast face-to-face, uh-huh. like in a studio. It's oh, great. because yeah, you do uh, remote stuff? Well, all, my podcast was all about family travel. Right. And I was always interviewing family travelers who are, A, not experienced with podcasts. Right. And be always in some far-flung place with spotty Wi-Fi and yeah. not in a studio. So sure. it's someone in Peru with a dog barking outside right. or it's someone <laughs> in Cambodia and her husband is like zipping the suitcase right. behind her. I'm like, can you stop that? You know. So, But uh, when we were in Mexico recently, our, uh, they were putting fiber optic into our neighborhood. Oh, nice. And it was just – so. The, but the Wi-Fi was on and off. So right. I just kind of put it on hold. Then we were moving back to Japan and so – so. but I'm, I may get it going again. So it's called an Epic Education. Education, mm-hmm. uh, and where all of you lived now since where you started in Japan? Mm-hmm. Just give us the rundown. Okay, well, of your um, crazy, awesome, cool <laughs> life. <laughs> I uh, I left the states in 1997. Okay, you and I, which we may get into, were college buddies at yeah. UGA. Yeah, we'll get into that. And um, I graduated in '94, and I taught elementary school for three years. Okay, that's and right. I was teaching. I taught in South Florida, and then I taught in South Atlanta. That's right. I remember and that. I was um, 
I was getting a little stressed out. I was, you know, I was intentionally working in whatever out at risk neighborhoods yeah. for lack of a better. Were you word. teaching art? I was the art teacher. Okay, so I saw all the kids in the school. But yeah. I was, um, at least in Florida, I was having chairs thrown at me. And, wow. You know, got stabbed with a colored pencil and the scissors <laughs> once or twice. You know, and so, which I mean, I chose that job. That's yeah. what I wanted to do. I wanted to be the you know the hero of dangerous minds or something. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But after three years, I was getting. Uh, uh, I needed a break. Yeah, this is pre-internet, you know. Right. I, and I heard people taught English abroad, so I went to Taiwan. Actually, let me and I'll truncate this story. So I went to Taiwan, taught English there for a few years, mm-hmm. uh, then moved to Tokyo and lived there for thirteen years, and moved in from business English teaching into I got a job uh, with a newspaper and then an ad agency right. and then your wife is Japanese just so my I wife is Japanese we we met here she was a school teacher yeah. in in Atlanta and she sends her regards Good. she wanted me to tell you hello <laughs> I haven't seen her in so long it's been a while it's been a minute maybe since 1999 she well we'll, we'll talk <laughs> <We're not laughs> I don't know if we want to talk night. about that but uh, <laughs> but uh but anyway so uh um she, basically I moved to Taiwan and and then she followed me back mm-hmm. she left the states and came over and then we moved together to Tokyo we lived there for 13 years yeah I knew you were there for a long time a long time and the and that's where the kids were born right and then in 2013, uh, I was working for an ad agency. She was working for a bank, and we just didn't see our kids anymore. Mm-hmm. We just we were we called ourselves uh, tag team single parents. Oh, that sucks. Because you know I would pick them up one night, and she would right. come home at eleven, and then she would pick them up the next, and then I would come home at eleven. So we wanted to make a change. So I uh, worked out something with my company to work remotely, uh-huh. um, which is a whole story in itself that I'll I'll spare you now. And uh, we started kind of moving around. And right. We went back to Taiwan to show the kids, you know, this place that we loved so much. Uh-huh. And then uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand, and then Malaysia. And that was two months each. It was too fast. And so then we went back to Malaysia. We lived in Malaysia for a year. Uh-huh. And then we went to Spain and lived in Valencia, Spain for two years. Uh-huh. That and, must have sucked. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible. And then, uh, and then we went to Mexico. And we okay. lived, we started in the Yucatan Peninsula. For a few months, and it didn't really click. And then we went to the sort of the what, what do you call it, the high plains in uh-huh. central Mexico, a place called San Miguel de Allende, right. and ended up staying there for almost two years. Uh-huh. And that brings us up to this summer. And uh, this summer, we moved back to Japan. This time, we're in Osaka. Mm-hmm. Uh, Keiko, my wife's family, is in Osaka, and the kids. Uh, this is sort of the last chance for them to experience living so this in Japan. Is home for you guys. Does it feel like home, Japan? O- Osaka doesn't, even though I've been there at least once or twice a year since mm-hmm. since 1997 to see right. my wife's family. But uh, uh, but we wanted to kind of live there. I was thrilled to be back in Japan after the time away. Yeah, I love living in Japan. I didn't like working in Japan. Oh, okay. You know what I mean, I didn't like the kind of hours and stuff that I was having to put in. But, uh, you know, the kids' first language is Japanese, and they can't speak it now. Really? Um, they're, they're, I mean, the boy's all right. Uh, the girl can barely speak. And, but they're fluent in Spanish, and they're fluent in English, which they weren't when we left. Interesting. They were not, I mean, they, they could speak, but they couldn't read or write on their level. So we kind of, we left and worked on their English, and then we moved to Spain, and we put them in local Spanish schools mm-hmm. where they made friends, and then 
and same thing in Mexico. So, so they're, you know, and they just didn't identify with that side of themselves. Yeah. So we wanted to go back or that's one of many reasons, but the boy's going to graduate in two years and he's, you know, he's going to go off to college. So this Where's is Where's he thinking? Chance. Does he know yet? He has no idea. America or? I, he's looking at um, some places in the States. We're okay. going to do a couple college tours. We'll go to California in the spring that's and then so come nuts, to the East man. Coast in the, <laughs> in the, um, in the summer. And uh-huh. then he, you know, he still has a bunch of buddies in Spain and right. various places. And so he may look at Europe, but probably the States. It all depends, you know, on a variety of factors. He doesn't, he's 17. He doesn't, yeah. know, what he wanted. He doesn't know what he wants. Right, to right. So. so what is it, um, what's it been like and what's it been like for your kids? I know like to do something like this, everyone's got to be game somewhat. Right. Right. Um, how much pushing and pulling was there, or or is it like you would think it is in a movie where everyone's just like, "Great, Dad, where are we gonna? What, what's the next adventure?" <laughs> oh, I wish it was like that. Like, what are the ups and downs, and the benefits, and the bad things? Uh, there's, I mean, there's definitely been, uh, you know, there's been pros and cons. I think the the pros are our kids were, you know, sheltered in a way, almost like Japanese kids, right? You know, because mm-hmm. that's where they grew up. And they're much more uh, self-confident and mm-hmm. resourceful. They can handle themselves. I mean, we just let our 16 – when he was 16, he backpacked through Europe this summer. Wow. On his own. So, wow. or, Well, with a bunch of friends, but, uh, yeah, but, yeah. Like, but a bunch of other 17, 18-year-old kids. Man, that's awesome. And so, you know, he can kind of swing that kind of stuff and he can manage a lot of different things. And our girl, you know, uh, oh, she's – uh, she's she's got it together in a lot of ways. The the downside of that is that they were just tired of moving around. Eventually, right? You know I mean, they were they were meeting friends. That's ba- basically be when tough, we sure. moved when we moved to Mexico. It was like, can we stop moving around? We want to stay in one place for a while. And, and when thought, that happens, is it like as parents, you got to heed that? Sure, request you know, their their feedback. You know, is a big part of it. Yeah, you know? and so, but. Uh, you know, and so we thought Mexico might be that, and it was it was great for the time that we were there. But the schools weren't really prepping the boy for for college the okay. way we wanted, right? And also at the same time, we realized that they couldn't speak Japanese, and this mm-hmm. was the last chance. So we decided to go back. So when he graduates in whatever it is, twenty twenty one, I guess, mm-hmm. we'll you know he'll head off, and then we'll decide. You know, our daughter has a vote in like, right. are we going to stay in Japan? Are we going to move? Somewhere else, we're going to move the states. It'll be, you know, she'll she'll be in that feedback. So. Are you ever going to live in the states again? I don't know. I felt like maybe. I feel like when you left, all those years ago when you left, I felt like this is it. Jenkins is never going to come back. <laughs> I hadn't thought about moving back in a long time, um, but it depends on where my kids are. If they right. wanted to, if they wanted to move here, sure, you want to be then, close to them. You know, I'd want to be a little close to them. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, it all it all depends on what's going on in the states uh-huh. as well. But uh, um, I'm not. I haven't written it off. Right. It's not. It's not my first choice right now. I'm happy to be back in Japan for a while. What has your family uh, thought about all of this? <laughs> well, I mean, they thought like I thought when I left. I was going for a year. Right. I mean, that's all I was. I was going to go. So and, I was the only one that knew that you were, <laughs> I guess you were you, coming back. <laughs> yeah, Nostradamus over here. Yeah. Um, they. They thought I was going to leave for a year, and I did too. Uh-huh. And then I was like, I'm not ready to come back, and I stayed. And you know, so probably the first five years, they were like, when are you going to come back? And then they realized yeah. I'm 
probably not. Right. So, so they got or at right least not it. anytime soon. Uh-huh. So, so, but it's been tough. You know, I mean, I'm the only kid with grandkids. Right. right. My sister never had kids. My brother may, may not. I don't know, but uh-huh. he doesn't have any yet. So, you know, for my parents, it's been kind of tough. So, I mean, you were talking about sort of the downside. Yeah. You know, I adore my parents, and it, you know, it hurts them right. to uh, do that. Um, may I take off my shirt? Yeah. A little warm. Do whatever you want. Thanks. You can take off all your clothes, Jason. Ooh, mercy lord. I've seen that body before. <laughs> right on. Uh, so what, um, w- what would you like to tell people to seek out of yours? Huh, what would I want them to see of mine? Because I know there are a lot of people, I know for sure we have listeners that live in Japan right now, some really active movie crushers. Oh, and, right. And I know that they, there are people that are interested in doing things like this, and I think people can be scared away from it. Mm-hmm. It's intimidating. Sure. Um, and I think you could be a good resource for encouraging this kind of lifestyle. Sure. Well, you know, maybe before I, I say, you know, where to point people towards, when you say you have friends or listeners in Japan, let, uh-huh. me, let me just tell you that you have listeners all over the place. <laughs> I have bumped into people in have multiple really? countries. I thought I wrote you about that. Maybe I didn't. But I've had I've had people in multiple countries. You know, when you start talking about podcasts, they're uh-huh. like, oh, have you heard of this one stuff you should know? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I actually know that guy. And they don't just say, oh, you know that guy. They go, you know Chuck Bryant? <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I've had people come uh, at my sister's wedding in uh-huh. Mexico. Somebody, like, basically pushed everybody out of the I think room. told me about And came up to me. And there's, there's been a – I mean, and, uh, you know, That's let me just funny. take a moment to say I'm, I'm thrilled for you, man. Thanks, I mean, dude. We would have never – how do I put this? You know, I would have never predicted that this would have been your career path, but of course not. We didn't even know what a podcast was I know. in 94. Yeah, no one. But to see, you know, the kind of success you've had thanks, and the dude. sort of, you know, being able to do something you love, I love it. I it's love it. I'm thanks, really, really man. happy for you. I appreciate it. Yeah, right And on. I for you. So <laughs> we met uh, – well, tell people where to where to find oh, you. Oh, just uh, my my uh, website is uh, www.anepiceducation.com. Mm-hmm. The podcast, the, the all the podcast episodes are there, and then I've got a lot of – Pieces on you know saving money or how to do this or right. how to deal with flights with with kids on long term and travel gear and hotels schooling and a lot of you know we were we've done yeah I did, maybe didn't mention that but you know we've done homeschooling we pulled our kids our kids were in local schools in Japan when mm-hmm. we left and then as we moved around we did homeschooling or we would put them in local schools yeah. in various places we've done a, so a variety of different uh, things and I've, I've written about it and kind of given tips on our experience and we made a ton of mistakes so right. people can learn from those but uh-huh. uh, but yeah there's you know where to stay what to take with you and what not to take with you right or what. and then the podcast is just a different traveling family some articles are about traveling with little kids and others are about a specific destination. Uh-huh. They're all over the place. And so yeah. if I fire it back up, I may give it a more focus on uh-huh. one particular thing because it was kind of all over the place. But uh, Are you on Twitter or anything? I am. I am. That's uh, N-Epic-E-D-U. All right. Because I think you would be comfortable if people hit you up. Yeah, absolutely. Personally for uh, – Questions and stuff yeah, like sure, that. Yeah, sure, sure. A lot of people write into the blog. Um, maybe I should say a lot of people lately have been writing in 
about uh, the Spanish like uh, residency visa because uh-huh. we, I mean, I wrote these long pieces because it was a it was a saga to get that as a, an American citizen. Right. You know, it, when you're EU, you can stay. So a lot of people write me about that, and I'm happy to help if I can. Mm-hmm. But Spain bureaucracy is always changing. Oh, uh, really? It, it, you'll get a different answer in every office. So a lot of people write me on questions that. They're already in the the post somewhere, yeah. Or I can't really answer it because this was my experience three years ago, right? And exactly, it may have changed. So if you're listening right now and you want to move to Spain and you want to get the permanent residency, <laughs> or you want to get your kid into uh, FIFA football like my son did, yeah, I'm happy to help if I can. But I may not have the answer because awesome. the rules are changing all the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what is your job right now? What are you doing? Actually, just just the blog. Oh, just really? Blog. Yeah, all right, yeah, that's yeah. great. For a couple years, I was um, I was working part time. Uh-huh. You know, when I was talking about arranging something with my job, I, I worked for an ad agency in in Tokyo, and I was just a glorified copywriter. Didn't right? you work for Nikon? Well, that was our no? client. That oh, was our okay. client. Gotcha. So uh, you know, a lot of camera brochures up until 2013. If you looked at a DSLR. Uh, uh, brochure that, that was shit? that was me. Yeah, <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> I did. Well, basically, it's translated, and then I kind of, uh-huh. uh, I you know, it would depend on the camera. You know, I would have to sort of massage the text for because it was all you know translated by camera nerds and you know, uh-huh. engineers. And so, oh, it's an entry level. I have to write this the way a housewife would want to read it. And right. The pro, I have to write it the way the pros were. Right. And so, and I got to go on some commercial shoots. That's how I met you that last time when the at the premiere. At the um, uh, Center of Puppetry Arts. Oh, Do you remember that? Hell yeah. Yeah, I was coming back from Costa Rica. That's we right. were shooting a commercial with uh, Moose Peterson, this, this uh, nature photographer. But um, I'm getting lost to track of time. So that's what I used to do. Uh-huh. And then when I proposed to them to, you know, to like not come in the office anymore, yeah. <laughs> there was a whole lot of my job that I couldn't do. What do you think about me not showing up? <laughs> exactly. So I basically just, I proposed, cut my salary in half. Uh-huh. And let's see how this works. And and it worked for yeah. three and a half, I guess, of the last six years. That's good. Yeah, which was great. And then, but uh, you know, Nikon, Canon, all of them are getting hammered because everybody uses their phones now. I know. So man. so uh, their budgets got lower. And my boss, who was a friend, he's like, I don't know how much longer I can go. I said, It's all right. You know, you let me go when right. you need. But by that point, you know, we were using some of our savings and using yeah. m- money that the blog was coming in. I mean, we're not rolling in dough by any means. And anybody who has questions about this, you make a lot of sacrifices yeah. to to live this way. Sure. You know? So so that was a big part of it for That's sure. That's awesome, man. I have so much respect for the move or the moves that you've made and um, well, thanks, man. Doing something different. I think like growing up watching movies like about these – like the Mosquito Coast and these kind of right, – it's always right, presented right. in films as these crazy, crazy dads. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. And, I may I mean, fit there's the profile probably, <laughs> in some way. <laughs> <laughs> there may be a little bit of that, but it's also so rooted in practical things like you still have to educate your kids. Right. You right. still got to uh, get the job if – you know. In different places, and it's a lot easier to do that if you're single or you're yeah. just a young couple. But when you got kids, you got to make it sure family. That yeah, man, you got to make sure they have a place to sleep. Well, right. I mean, if it was just if it was Keiko and I, and just know, to feel secure, we would stay in dingy little places and right. save every every dollar for yeah. you know, some big ticket items. But you can't do that, you right? Know? You got to be able to. It's really cool, man. Yeah, so so cool. <laughs> so uh, we met in college, and I was telling Emily the story last night. We got hired. On the same 
day. We started on the same day <laughs> at Mexicali Grill. Mexicali as Grill. Chip Boys. <laughs> uh, and um, most esteemed title I've ever held, I think. Yeah, I didn't know that it was going to be such a fortuitous thing. Um, not only meeting you, but the things that have happened in my life because of that job, that right. dumb job. Right. I met you, and through you, I met Clay, who's right. still one of my. Great friends. Yep, mine too. Through Clay and you, I met Bill, who's still one of my great friends. Same. Uh, through that job, I met Justin. Right. Still one of my best friends. Yeah, yeah. Through Justin, I met Timmy, still one of my great friends. Right, right, right. Uh, Meredith Extet. <laughs> we, you remember Meredith, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. We're in touch. Like we lost touch for a long time, but we're now back in great touch. Wow. So you're when I go to New York. Um, uh, the list goes on. It's like that weird Mexican restaurant. <sighs> Like, non-existent now. Right? Yeah. It's, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> but uh, that is just amazing how one— It's crazy, man. Like what would have happened had I not gone in there for that job that right. summer? Right. Uh, and then through meeting you. So here's the, the thanks of gratitude. Um, I was coming out of high school as a as a Baptist boy. Okay. Um, sort of starting to explore different thoughts and pathways in life and— mm alternate ways of looking at the world that right. weren't just through the, the church. Mm-hmm. You are a preacher's kid. I am. Who got a head start on that stuff. <laughs> uh, and preacher's kids, like, there's one of a few ways you can go. I think you can you can really rebel mm-hmm. and be bad. <laughs> right. You can super follow in the footsteps. Mm-hmm. Or you can kind of go in that middle area, which is, I think, where you went. I guess you could to say a certain that. degree. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I rebelled a lot and did lots of stupid stuff, but I was still I'm still comfortable in their world. Yeah. I mean, it's not my world uh-huh. for, you know, lack of a better phrase, right. but I'm still completely comfortable. I go, you know, I you know, I I, I go to church with them when I come back. Right. And um, You don't feel like your skin is burning? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, no, no. Not anymore anyway. But uh no, but uh, I adore them. They they walk the walk. They yeah. they live the life that Your parents are great. They're they're awesome. Yeah. And they 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 live the life that, you know, that they profess Everyone should live. Right. And I admire them for that. Yeah, for sure. they're, they're good people. And uh, so you had a bit of a head start on um, sort of everything that I caught up to later. And you really like you ch- you took you sent me on a different path more so than anyone else. Did I? You did. Okay. Uh, um, musically. I mean, I could. There's a laundry list of things I could list <laughs> oh, that right, you right, literally right. turned me on to. Like uh-huh. you're the one who came over and said. Fucking, we're watching Reservoir Dogs tonight. I saw this movie. That was me. I, I don't know if you remember that. Right, but you're right. Like, you guys just get your shit and come over. Uh-huh. And uh, it's fine. Okay. And uh, watch that movie for the first time with you. Uh, Jim, you introduced me to Jim Jarmusch. You introduced me to Miles Davis. You introduced right, me that's to my proudest moment right the there. The Flaming Lips and the Butthole Surfers and Salvador Dali and the Church of the Subgenius. And like, oh, oh, what a great list. I don't think <laughs> yeah, no, I, I could keep going. But I don't think you realize at the time, because we were just kids, right. that I was just this sponge soaking up whatever you threw my way. Right, right, right. Uh, and I don't think I realized till later what a big impact that had on me, because... Wow, you make me cry. That, <laughs> so it was sweet. amazing, man. That sent me in a direction, uh, and you always did it in a way that was like, it was never, oh, you haven't heard of this, or... Oh, uh, right, right, with that it, sort of snobby, like... Yeah, man, it was always... I knew always, it before you kind of thing. You've always had this joy about it all, and like, oh, man, I can't wait to play you some bebop music, mm-hmm. or you've got to see this movie. 
because you will love it, not because like I oh, always well, wanted to share with my friends. I yes, was like, man, I, I just want, you got to see this. It, it was. Just, I mean, it was annoying. I'm sure it, sometimes. No, but. it was always amazing. Just really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff, and I like honestly owe you a huge debt. So, wow, thank wow. you, man. Well, oh man, the pleasure is all mine. And I miss your recommendation, so we need to get that dialogue going again. Yeah, sure, sure, just, sure. I'm I'm not as in the loop, you know, by any means as uh, I, I, bet as you I are. used to be. <laughs> well, I know I like what I like, but uh it doesn't have to be the coolest new hit band, you know. Right. Well, basically, you know, I used to uh I used to write for the Japan Times uh-huh. about, you know, various music. And it was just it was an easy way to get into shows for free or meet yeah. or meet bands that I liked. You know, I got to right. call Diplo and Interpol and all you know, yeah, that's right. and all that kind of stuff. Because you were shooting a lot of those festivals and Yeah. Well I was working at the Fuji Rock Festival. Right, I, that's managed, it. Uh, I managed uh I managed the English language team for that. I got Clay a job on that one time when he came to that's visit right. in I remember that. Yeah, it was fun. But um about the t- when I stopped writing about that I just I don't know. I like I I still explore new music for sure in yeah. movies, but uh but not with the kind of rabid I don't either. news. Uh, you know, maybe you I get can't busy. remember if it was I can't remember if it was David Letterman interviewing Conan O'Brien or the other way around, but Letterman talked about when he was ready to quit. Mm-hmm. It was like when he came home and he and his wife or his kid asked him like who was on the show tonight and he was like I don't remember. <laughs> So you and, knew that was it. <laughs> uh, well, I think I was like that with music. I was just consuming yeah. and not, uh, you know, and then just, you know, going out and grabbing more. And right. Now I'm kind of cherishing. See, I've been gone for 20 years. So when I come back, I like to listen to whatever the classic rock station right. here or yeah. V103. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, it's, Cre- Cre- you know, Creedence Clearwater yeah. Revival. I haven't <laughs> heard that forever. That Kids, have you ever heard this? You know, <laughs> they have no clue. You That's know? So, so funny. So it's fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've kind of, I always told myself that I'm never going to stop seeking out new like independent music same and i kind of have in a lot of ways have you? Uh, right 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 because you know how it is you get busy but i still try and at the end of the year i'll read end of year list of people i trust right and i'll pick out a few things sure, sure. it's just not quite as much yeah, yeah but i still go to live music all the time do you are yeah. you still playing you got a band right yeah we still play awesome yeah, awesome we're, we're having with a lot uh of fun. with ed and chris yep. cox and, and... Uh, jim isa is the drummer oh, Okay, I'm, very cool. I don't know if you ever met Jim. I, I know the name because he's in that same circle, yeah. but I haven't. He's I haven't a friend from him. high school. So oh, right. Okay. It's okay. like all these friends, we all ended up living like within four or five miles of each other in Atlanta. Right. After many of us going in many different directions for many years. Right. Right. Uh, we all, because, you know, I kind of lost touch with Clay for a while and oh, Bill. Right. Sure, sure. And we've all kind of converged you know, as adults here, and it's kind of, it's Fantastic. great. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, some of us have kids, and it's great. I'd love to hang out with your kids at some point. Yeah, be great. Bill's daughter, Wyatt, is awesome, and we she is. hang out with her some, and, uh, it's kind of this 2.0 phase <laughs> that's, I mean, your kids are graduating now, but it's fun now having our kids be friends with each other. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it's just a really, something to be cherished, I think, you know. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And uh, fostered. Hmm. Like, I don't like that we've lost touch as much as we have. Well, we have it now. Right. We're back. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I got to thank you in person. No, hey. I was going to uh, send in an email one time. That's humbling. Thank you. I have thank one you. here. Reservoir Dogs, Flaming Lips, Jesus Lizard, Miles Davis. Jesus Lizard. Well, Miles That's my Davis. gym music now. <laughs> Miles Davis opened up the whole jazz world. <gasps> right. So that, like, right, right, right. It's right. not just Miles. Uh, Church of Subgenius, <laughs> Diggable Planets. Uh, I think that's it as far as the, the list goes. Mm-hmm. Um, you knew Chuck Johnson passed away, didn't you? Did you, you hear that? You wrote me. You wrote oh, me about okay. that. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's how I found out. Yeah. yeah so I, don't know how, I don't know what happened, he but I adored a, uh, that guy. So I think he had an aneurysm and just 
oh, would God. drop dead alone. Okay. Oh, it's horrible. I know. It's uh, It was terrible. Chuck was one of the, our fellow waiters. Uh, Chuck was the first really good gay friend that I had. Yeah. Uh, that's why everyone from those days still call me Chucky, because there was already right, Chuck that worked there. Was there was already a Chuck. So a lot of those Mexicali people still call me Chucky yeah. on Facebook and stuff. Meredith Exted still calls me Chucky. Does she? Right. <laughs> yes, right, after right, all right, these right. years. But it was really sad to lose Chuck, and I was I was trying to get together a little reunion and uh, didn't get around to it, but that's something that we should probably do at some point. Yeah, that'd, that'd be, be great. great. I'd love to see all those, those guys. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> and catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Should we talk? Yeah, sure. Being there? Let's do it. I watched it last night. This is uh, the Hal Ashby film from 1979, obviously starring the great Peter Sellers, uh, who Indeed. I just got his uh, a biography two days ago. Uh-huh. showed up in the mail. 
that I know is just going to ruin everything because he was he was kind of a monster. Uh, apparently so. It was like, you know, borderline personality disorder. Yes. Kind of, uh, it, I don't know if he was always that way or if it was like that near the end. No, but, I think yeah. he was always that way. Okay. And a okay. really tough person in real life uh, t- and, and admitted um, – I mean, the, one of the reasons – I did a lot of re- uh, research on this one uh, – self-admitted – fan of Chance or Chauncey Gardner in this role mm-hmm. because he felt like he identified with him as an empty vessel. An empty vessel, yeah. I read and, that. I read something like that too. Yeah. yeah. And he was very well known for um for no one really knowing who Peter Sellers was because well, he, he was always of, in character. He always fell into some role and yeah. didn't really come out of it until right. the next one came along, right? But not a good husband, not a good father. Mm. Uh, and I'm, I wanted to read this book because he's just – I'm such a fan of his work. And I know what it's what's going to be in there. Right. Um, and it's not going to be pretty, but I'm going <laughs> to read it anyway. Well, this is one of my favorite movies, but I, you know, I can't say I'm some uh, Peter Sellers aficionado or something like that. Right. I love the Pink Panther movies because I love to watch my dad laugh uh-huh. uh, you know, during those. I mean, the Dude, slapstick. I thought those. there was nothing funnier when I was a kid. Oh, than the, same, the Pink same. Panther. I mean, I laugh, but my dad has one of those laughs that just uh-huh. is contagious. And yeah, so, yeah. so we we even watch those now. Uh-huh. But um, I wasn't a fan of... Um, of Dr. Strangelove. Oh, really? Well, I mean, I saw it once uh-huh. a long time ago. It was too slow-paced, and I never watched it again. Now that we've, I've kind of done this research and watched this movie I a couple you'd like times, it now. I'd probably like it now. Yeah. But being there, there was something about it that I connected with, mm-hmm. and then I watched it, and we'll probably get into sort of the 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 sort of analogies that are made for it today in yeah. the past. But I watched it maybe 10 years ago during the W years uh-huh. and thought, you could put this movie out. Right. You could put this movie out tomorrow. Yeah. And if the film quality and the clothes didn't give it away, it would look like it was just made yeah. you know, yesterday. Um, Boy, it, and now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we'll, we'll, you know, there'll be some part of that. we we'll get into that. But, uh, you know, out of all the movies, you told me to send you some movies. Yeah. And I looked at my list, and it's the only sort of quiet, subtle movie. All my other favorite movies are bombast. Indiana Jones yeah. and Baron Munchausen and Iron Monkey and all this sort of like uh-huh. in your face. And then there's Being There, which is this kind right. of singular uh subtle gem uh-huh. you know but yeah. uh, but it still it still connects i watched it you know i uh, watched it a, a week or so ago yeah it's so before good before this and it's just as good as it was then I totally agree um my uh entree into this film was believe it or not uh the mad magazine parody really yeah <laughs> so i don't know if you're into mad but i was uh a, a nut for mad magazine okay. growing up okay and they had their big film parodies it was i think usually two each issue okay where they would parody a film, and I remember it was called "Being Not All There," <laughs> and uh, appropriate. Read that before I saw the movie because I was, you know, I was a little kid, a nine-year-old that didn't go see "Being There," mm-hmm. and uh, then saw the movie years later. Uh, but it, it's funny. I've had I had a few of those where Matt, like us, the Exorcist spoof and the Amityville Horror spoof. I have to look into that. Uh, yeah. And a bunch of those that I saw like way before I saw the films. Before you saw the film. Oh, oh yeah. that's classic. Absolutely. Well, maybe this is the right point to say. Um, another unique thing I I find about being there is well. Let me back up and say once we decided on doing being there. Right. I uh, I uh, grabbed the book. And I read it. Okay. It's a, oh, you did? Well, I uh, audio book. But oh, it's a okay. very short book. It's only like 250 pages. Uh-huh. The audio book itself was like uh, three hours. I, I mean, I listened to it on a, tr- you know, 
on a trip to Kyoto oh, and man. back. I'm going to have to like, check that it's, out. It's really good. And it would be it would be one of the only books or one of the only kind of stories I could say that I would recommend reading it after seeing it. Oh, okay. I hate to w- read a book after I see the movie. Yeah. Even after the trailer because the the characters are burned in and I don't I don't formulate my own characters, right? right? I see the faces. Yep. But the story is smaller. That's another unique thing. The sto- they actually flesh the story out. There's characters that don't exist in the story in uh-huh. the the book. Uh, you know, there's whole sort of subplots and little extra jokes. Um, and the ending, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, is yeah. not in the book. Right. I think I knew that because um, I saw that it was not in the original screenplay. In the original screenplay, the Eve and Chauncey find each other in the woods. Right. And just get in a car and leave. Right. Is right, that how right. it happens in the book? It, I, if I remember correctly, it was just like he's, you know, the – there's there's people in like the smoky back room political you know trying yeah. to trying to figure out who's going to run for president right. and they're talking about him and he just kind of walks out a door yeah where in the movie I'm sure we'll get to this you know it's the funeral and the pallbearers uh-huh. are kind of whispering it as he kind of wanders off into the woods Such and a great has this strange possibly Christ like moment yeah. I don't know it's like you know but uh, that's that I definitely want to you know get to that because I would love to know what how you feel about yeah. that that ending we'll but the book is but but the the book is 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 great it's read by Dustin Hoffman oh interesting um which i wondered if this was chosen because i you know doing my research somebody was saying maybe Chauncey Gardner and i'm i'm assuming if you're listening to this you you either read the book or you're you're or you saw the movie or you're right. bored already but right. but you know he's this sort of dim-witted guy uh-huh. and somebody was saying maybe he was autistic or something yeah whether that's true or not but I don't having Dustin Hoffman reading the right, uh, right, you know, the book was sort of a strange <laughs> uh, a strange twist but uh highly recommended it. yeah it's interesting because there we don't know what the diagnosis is right and to see this through a modern lens um is much different than when it was made in 1979. Sure. Uh, you would just – well, the whole premise of the movie is that no one understands that he has any sort of affliction. Exactly. Uh, I guess that back then they would have called him slow or something. Right, right. Or but dim-witted. nobody picks up on that. That's no one picks whole... up on it. That's the whole premise of the movie. Right. Is, uh, is that people see what they want to see. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean that's the the running theme. Yeah. Um, real quick on Hal Ashby. Okay. He – he owned the 70s, uh, maybe like no other director owned the 70s. Yeah. He went, this was his run, Harold and Maude in 71, The Last Detail in 73, Shampoo in 75, Bound for Glory in 76, Coming Home in 78, and then Being There in 79. Boom. I don't know if like any other director can can claim a run like that. One, two, three, four, five, six like classic Films by anyone's standard yeah. inside a 10-year period. And then he – I don't know how much you know about him. He kind of went off the deep yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. I think he kind of fell off the radar in his own head too. Yeah, know, and got yeah. really bad into heroin and cocaine. Oh, right. And okay. uh, was sort of looked at as unhirable for a while and tried to get back in the game late and I think made one more uh, one more movie that didn't do so well. But – had this great run, and then mm. that was sort of it. And there's a little parallel with Peter Sellers himself there, right? He For made sure. only one more movie before his death, and it was some lame, like, Fu Manchu. It was like the, the curse of yeah. Fu Manchu or something like that. I remember that which movie. Which was, you know, uh, was a nothing burger. And, yeah. But he made 
you know, one of the best films, of, you know, one of my favorite films Absolutely. at the very end of his career with Hal Ashby doing the same thing. Yeah, I think he was sort of problematic for uh, his personality problems mm-hmm. This at this point in his career. Right. After really cleaning up in the sort of 60s mm-hmm. and early 70s. And it sounds like it was Peter Sellers that actually was pushing Ashby to yes. make this movie. He read this book by a guy named Jerzy Kosinski. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm probably butchering that name. No, but he right. read the book and spent like eight years yeah. pushing Ashby to make this movie. And um, yeah, and it's, it's a gem. Yeah, and I think Hal Ashby wanted uh, full control and got some deal with a group called Lorimar okay. Pictures. And um, I think they're the ones that ended up kind of wrecking his reputation. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure why. Because this was a critical hit. It was a financial hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it did really well. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they had any you know, egg on their face for doing this. So right. I'm not sure what the deal was. Maybe it was like interpersonal stuff. But um, the way – and you know, we don't have to go like in order of the movie. We can kind of jump sure, around. Sure, sure. Um, I guess we should just talk about the sort of the, the way he played this role, like the physicality and the voice – Mm-hmm. was just so spot on and he he just inhabits his character so well. I wonder, yeah, like I wonder if, if he's one of those method guys that would have stayed like that. Because, he did. Yeah, that's, that's kind of shocking, you know. Um, and watching that makes me do, it makes me rethink the autism thing. I, I don't know, I just, I, I guess it's on my mind. I just read this book last year called, I wish I could remember the name of the author. It's like The Curious Incident of the Dog at Night. Have you no. read this book? Mm-mm. It's a play and, um, uh, and a book. It's, real, it's a real quick read, but it's written from the, the perspective of an autistic teenager in mm-hmm. Britain. And he's trying to solve the crime of, like, the dog across the street was murdered. And basically, you know, almost, not, you know, for a normal person, nothing almost happens. He, like, he takes a train and to right. go see his mom. But it, it's written in this way, thinking the way he thinks. Oh, and interesting. And wa- re-watching, I could see this, I could see a little bit of Chauncey Gardner. In yeah. There. But this idea, this character that had never left... Had never left the walled garden, yeah, and was so obsessed with with television, mm-hmm. and I, I, there was a lot of parts that I remember of of him that would then show up later, where you know he would be imitating yeah. something that happened on television, uh-huh. and then at just the right moment, at the right chance. I mean, this right. sort of, you know the the whole idea of being there and the 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 little moment of chance was just it was it was so well timed yeah everything from the way he uh, and you'll see him you know hone in on something on the television mm-hmm. and you almost at a certain point you start to get what's going on you know that's going to come back right like the way he shakes hands and when exactly. he when he first met the president mm-hmm. uh, Jack Jack Warden who was fucking phenomenal yeah yeah and yeah, the yeah. way he shakes his hands so <laughs> like vigorously both hands and Jack Warden can't get his hands away from him or the way you know he sees some stagecoach driver uh-huh. tip his hat and then later he tips his hat and yeah and the uh, or right at the right moment when the woman who's in love with him comes in and uh-huh. he sees somebody kissing on television right and he, he does it the same way oh can we just stop for a moment to like. Some of the uh, 
some of the little TV moments uh-huh. are so brilliant. Yeah. And I, I kind of remember them from, you know, from sure. my childhood. There was like the, the, you can call me Ray and you can call oh, me yeah. Jay. Ray and, Jay. Uh-huh. and there was the basketball Jones, at, you know, yeah, little dude. video. You know who did that? Uh-uh. That's Cheech and Chong, man. Oh, really? Yeah. Which I, it doesn't make right. sense. I, like I rewatched it. It doesn't sound like them. But when you look at credits, it's, it's Cheech wow, and Chong. Wow. Basketball Jones. Yeah. But that little, that little you know weird kind of cartoon and but yeah. then and then there's stuff like Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers uh-huh. and you know peppermint patty commercials and all these weird little yeah. things and a lot of times I liked how they would kind of clue in like in the basketball Jones it's saying you know I need someone to stand beside me and it's paralleling this woman who's yes. sitting right next to him and so, yeah there were a lot of sly little things like yeah, that there was a lot of little found objects that sort of uh-huh. really kind of mirror the situation in a subtle way yeah so he's in in Washington D.C. and at the very beginning of the movie um, which is a another parallel that'll play out in his second life at the Biltmore Estate in North Carolina. Right. Which have you ever been there? I haven't, but uh, oh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's something else. Yeah. You, you should check it out at some point. That's another difference in the book. Is the book takes place in New York City. Right. And so Not this DC. is and in the summertime. But okay. so the movie's actually better with the winter and the yeah. sort of like uh, and the you know the political climate. I th- I thought that was great. Well, but he then those wears build- overcoat and the umbrella and the whole exactly, look, you know, exactly. sort of complete complete that look <laughs> for sure, for sure. But he, uh, you know, the old man, which is what he calls him, whoever uh-huh. is has owned this house that he's lived in as the gardener. The old man has died, mm-hmm. and um, he has to leave the house. And that that very early scene where the two. Uh, I guess real estate attorneys or whatever they right, are, right? Basically, tell them you know you got to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to try and make a claim against the estate? And that sets up the whole recurring thing with the claim, like mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to make a claim. <laughs> <laughs> but he, uh, it's interesting to look at that today. Like this was the seventies; they were basically like, this guy clearly needs help, and they right. just toss him out on his ass. Today, that would. There would be someone to help him. They would put him in touch with. Right. There would be a social network. Or absolutely. Some support network, I think. Is what some I kind of say. support network to get him going. Mm-hmm. A caseworker, a social worker, something. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny to look back at the seventies when they're like, "Oh, this guy who was like, you know, obviously uh, has some, at the very least, some pretty big learning disabilities." Right. Uh, you're out on your ass in the middle of Washington D.C. <laughs> and. Uh, Credit to, I mean, the music choice yeah. there when they are playing the uh, the two thousand one theme. I, I the, the discoed up version. Uh, Diodato is his name. I can't remember. It's like a Brazilian. He was like a contemporary of Chick Corea yeah. and all these guys. Uh, Human Diodato or something uh-huh. like this sort of Latin disco yeah. two thousand one. It's pretty great. Which you know is sort of you know was a probably a nod you know to uh, to the the movie itself. Yeah, sure. As he's sort of emu- you know emerging uh-huh. into the world. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, uh, it was just it was it was classic. I've actually been listening to it since. Oh you know, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it was, funky it's as fun. hell, man. It was nice. Yeah, yeah it's a nice jam. Uh, sure. And the, there's one of the most, and I think it sort of was played for laughs in 1979, but watching it last night, it was such a heartbreaking scene when uh, he meets the, the, the sort of street toughs. Right. And they, the guy flicks a switchblade in his face, and he tries to change the channel. He picks up his remote control. Right. And points it at the guy and clicks it. So sad, but so kind of sad. It's kind of funny, but in '79, yeah. I'm sure it was like a laugh riot. Right. I'm watching it as a 48 year old man in right. 2019 or 20, right. and I just wanted to start crying because yeah. this guy has yeah. never been faced with reality, right. and he's trying to 
change the channel also something that's scary. Also not in the book. That whole oh, really? that whole part. And I got a fact for you, the the the, the little trippy out here right. too. That kid. Oh no. The the kid that's like, it? you you tell that chicken shit motherfucker that <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. gonna blah 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 you know, like that guy, his name is O'Teal Burbridge, and he was the bassist for a band called Aquarium Rescue Unit. What? Yeah. I have no idea. Wow. Uh, for the listeners, Aquarium Rescue Unit was one of the only kind of jam band types that I got into. Yeah, who was it? Were, Colonel Bruce Hampton. Colonel Bruce Hampton. Yeah. And the, Colonel Bruce Hampton looked like your high school gym coach. <laughs> he had this big Tom Selleck mustache and uh-huh. wore like gym like belly. shorts uh-huh. and a beer belly. And then he had this freakazoid band yeah. with like some you know weird hippie guitarist and then had this fishbone-ish looking yeah. bassist guy. Yeah. I mean, look. I think you turned me on to Fishbone too, by the way. Ah, right. Now that you mention it, I'm proud of that. (laughs) But anyway, and there he is. And I don't. uh, I knew that before I looked it up on IMDb, but I went to confirm it Uh before I told you that. But this, uh, these guys played at the you know Georgia Theater and a variety of places when we were in college. Why the hell he's in being there? I know. I have no clue, and I have no idea what he's doing now. DC kid. Maybe he was. Maybe he was. You also turned me on to Bad Brains. Speaking of DC. Oh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Bad Brains. I, These are going to keep popping up I saw up them in now. Japan a while back. Oh, really? They're, they're old, man. Uh, I mean, this a while back means maybe five or six not, years Not ago. so great. They're, they're not doing backflips on stage anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> None of us are jinky. Um, so, yeah, he, he leaves the house and then has a very fortuitous uh, thing happens. He gets uh, backed into by a car mm-hmm. of the wife of... Uh, a very rich and influential man. Uh, these days, he would be. Uh, these days, he would be a tech billionaire or I a guess. hedge fund manager. Yeah, he's one like of a those. Warren Buffett or something. He's a Warren basically. Buffett type guy. But yeah. has you know, he's has such influence that he has the ear of the president, played by Jack Warden. The wife is played by uh, uh, Shirley MacLaine, and Melvin Douglas is the old, his new old man. Right, and he kind of falls from one situation. Falls right into, right into the same goddamn yeah. situation. Yeah, and it you know it couldn't have been more perfect that he finds this, and he's even and that's one of the beautiful things is that he's not deceiving anybody. No, he, does, he has no idea that they don't know. Right, uh, you know that he doesn't. He thinks he's doing exactly. He's like, oh wow, this is just you uh-huh. know, now you'll make my lunch. You know <laughs> that Absolutely. kind of thing. You know, Louise made my lunch, and now you'll make my lunch. Right, and this is where. At this point, this is where the sort of comedy of errors of misunderstandings and hearing what you want to hear uh-huh. really kick in yeah. as he's at dinner and like this army of waiters and butlers are serving the meals uh-huh. and he starts to talk about that, you know, his house closed down uh-huh. and the attorneys closed it down and this, you know, this character, what's his name, um, Rand, yeah. which is a perfect yeah, for this too. <laughs> totally. You know, like Rand, Rand Corporation. Exactly. Or, Ayn, you know, Ayn Rand right, and all yeah. of that. It was just, it's perfect. Uh, you know, he's, he, what he hears is not yeah. the literalness of what he's saying, but that, uh, you know, when he says, I want to work in your garden and the gardens uh-huh. and all this. And what this, all these metaphors. this hedge fund, you know, he hears it as metaphors. And yeah. that the, you know, the American entrepreneur has to, you know, till the soil and, That's you know, right. and plant the seeds. Uh-huh. And <laughs> then when he talks about, like, all I have is the room, you know, uh, this is Chance talking now, yeah. or, or Chauncey, uh-huh. I should say. Yeah, because they misunderstand. He says, Chance the gardener. Yeah. In the book, there's Chance and Chauncey. 
uh, you hear from his, Chance's perspective uh-huh. and Chauncey, which is kind of nice. But in here, he's Chauncey to everyone. Right. But, you know, Chauncey says something about that all he has now is the man upstairs. Yeah. And that just hits home to him, the, to the to this billionaire. Because yeah, he's like, well, I have none of that. I'll have none <laughs> yeah. of that. I'm going to the man upstairs next. Yeah, yeah. You know, don't you talk about that. And so it really sets this sort of snowball in motion uh-huh. of just everybody wants him to be – uh, their their savior, their yeah, you know, their their you sage. Know. It's interesting. There are so many like. It's a comment on so many things. Everything from dumb uh, dumb TV culture mm-hmm. to politics, right? To people not listening, truly listening to someone, right? And right. filling in the blanks that they want to hear, right? Um, uh, I mean, it's a satire. It's not as funny as I remember. It's a pretty dramatic film. It's dramatic, and you know, um, you know, uh, rein me in if this is going off on the wrong uh, the wrong way. But I'm not a fan of like today's cringe comedy. Yeah, you know, same here. Uh, Curb your enthusiasm and all that. I don't I don't dislike it, but it makes me uncomfortable, and I don't enjoy watching it because it's supposed I do to like. Some of that stuff. No, no, I'm not saying I hate all of it, but yeah. I don't watch all of it because it's just it's a very uncomfortable situation. It is. Well, this movie has. That a little bit of that element, uh-huh. but I I relish it because I just can't believe they're you just think, can't believe they're that they think yeah, what they think. Anyway. I think the difference is in something like The Office, which I loved. It's an obnoxious character who's making everyone uncomfortable. Right, 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 right. Uh, and this, he is so pure of heart. Uh, there's none of that. Maybe that's it. Maybe you that's, know, that's he's why a, it's he's tolerable. a good guy. He's right. Uh, he's honest to a fault because right. he knows n- nothing else. Yeah, All yeah. he knows is how to talk about the thing right in front of his face mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or the thing he knows about, which is gardening. And television. And television. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, this this budding romance starts to bloom because Rand is a dying man. Mm-hmm. He has this younger wife. Who's desperate for, yeah. for some sort of attention uh-huh. and, and romance that she's never had. That's right. And she that's she sees that in him, and, the, and so she yeah. doesn't see anything else. And Shirley MacLaine is so great in this. Isn't she? Yeah. Um, I, I read some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like, he was – Sellers was in character the whole time. Mm-hmm. She is just a world-class kook and always has been. Right. Um, so she was on set talking about her numerology and uh, all her – Right, right, know, or past st- lives or something. Past lives. Hal Ashby is there, just stoned out of his mind, twenty four seven. Ashby is what they call yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> Ashby. Uh, and apparently, it was just like a, a pretty crazy scene. I believe it. on the set of being there. <laughs> <laughs> and, but through all that, you get this very docile, sort of calming film. Uh-huh. It has that effect on you when you're watching it, even. Right, right. It's it's calming, and then there'll be these moments where oh, he's going to get found out right now. Yeah. And they somehow, I mean, like the point where. He goes, he finally sees another black person. Uh-huh. And he goes, do you know Raphael? Right. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, he's about to give that message. But you don't get that till the credits. You know? Right. So, Which uh, I want to talk about that later, too. Actually. Yeah, yeah, sure, that sure, sure. very controversial uh, <gasps> right, 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 sort of right, thing. Right, 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 um, By the way, the DP as well is, uh, was Caleb Deschanel, who is Zoe Deschanel's father. Really? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Um, apparently Hal Ashby used to work almost exclusive, uh, exclusively with the great Haskell Wexler, but he was not available. So they went to Caleb Deschanel, which is pretty interesting. Um, so, uh, it, he's, he's in this new situation that is just like the old one. Uh-huh. People start to find him out a little bit because of two reasons. One, 
you basically have two people investigating him. You have Secret Service, right? Because of his uh, eventual meeting with the president, right? And and all of a sudden, this guy's getting quoted on the evening news, right? As this economic sage, <laughs> uh, and then you have uh, the the other group investigating, right? The Russians, or you mean the attorneys? The attorneys, right, 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 right. Um, and you get the feeling in the doctor, he's sort of one of those, is sort of like, what's he was, going on? He's with another this guy? added character that's good. There's some person who is sort uh-huh. of suspicious, yeah. who's like, this doesn't really match up, and and he he's great in the movie. But what's interesting uh, that hit me last night, after all the times I've seen this, is they are all, I think, I think they think they're after a con man. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't come out and really say it, mm-hmm. but they're like, something stinks here. Like this guy's putting one over on us. But like you said earlier, that's not the case. No, he is a mystery man, right? Uh, and he and there is a, a no documentation. There is a no, mystery to be solved, right? But he's not conning anybody, right? 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 There was that great scene where you know he has the FBI director and the CIA director, uh-huh. and he's like, "All right, this guy, you know, he's got it. You've burned his records." Neither of them know anything, uh-huh. but their own pride stops them from saying we don't know anything because they're like, well, he That's could right. be a CIA man. And so in that point, they're not seeing in him what they want to see. It's right. like literally their own pride is, is you know, uh, uh, obfuscating their, yeah. their own view. And they can't, they, they, they can't admit that right. they don't know. Right. So another so series of chants where people's own fallacies and their people's uh-huh. own – Sort of, uh, you know, problems with their own ego. Yeah, what they want, you know, allow this guy to move forward. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I know the other the, uh, investigator that I was thinking was the um, the reporter uh-huh. from the Financial Times or whatever. <gasps> right, 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 right. Because right. he's the first one that calls him, and that's such a great scene. The the phone call he gets. Oh, and he's like, yeah. He starts doing yoga basically. Uh, moving the phone away from his ear like he doesn't even fully understand how a phone works <laughs> and this guy's like are you still there are you there uh-huh. and he like has fully set the phone down because the television is on right right it's like right. my four-year-old right and he's like i've been on television uh-huh. because at that earlier scene he had been right remember when he's like That's when he, he got w- hit by the car he got hit by the car he was standing there uh-huh. that was a great moment because 2001 disco version is is kind of fading out uh-huh. and he's standing there and there's like a moon and stump something behind there to kind yeah, of show yeah and he sees himself on a video recorder right so when they ask him to be on the talk show he's uh-huh. like yes i've been on television <laughs> <laughs> Again, honest. Yeah, yeah. He never like, lies. He never. Yeah. He's never anything. It's he's that childlike not. wonder. Yeah, and at the same time, as he's doing these idiotic things when people are not looking, or you know, just or just watching television. Yeah. and saying these empty platitudes, or well, they're not even platitudes to him. They're just right. straightforward facts about gardening. Yeah, I, you know, I just. I wrote down some of the things that people were, you know, they, they, right, they called him. They called him smart and sensible. Uh-huh. They called him level-headed. They said, "You don't play games with words, Chauncey." That's right. You know, you're direct and straightforward. Uh-huh. You know, you have the gift of being natural. Uh-huh. You know, and then uh, <laughs> I feel safe with you. Yeah. You know? And then uh, you know, you seem to be a truly peaceful man. And those that's are probably all the true only, things. Those it's are all true. You know, but and that's another thing about this is that he's never lying and deceiving and right. Like, you know, uh, he's not trying to stay one step ahead of them. He's just, which is in a way, I was trying to think of an equivalent to this movie. Me too. Where someone's stumbling, I think, and I haven't seen it since I was maybe 10 years old, but like an early Tom Hanks movie where it's like the the man with the one red shoe, where it's like, right. everybody, this is just some schmo, but everybody thinks he's some spy or something and yeah. he doesn't realize it. But by chance, 
you know, some things stumble uh-huh. into place. But, uh, you know, aside from that, I can't think of any other thing. I think Forrest Gump tried to do some of this stuff mm-hmm. in a way more obvious. And ham-fisted. Ham-fisted yeah, way. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think it, I think it wanted to be it being there in some ways. Interesting. Yeah. You, you, you're not wrong. You know? I didn't even, I don't know why I didn't think of that one. Of course. Of course, but the sort it, of slow, mentally challenged guy who stumbles through life exactly, and makes history, and, everyone and everybody loves him, and thinks it's a genius. But this is so much more real and substantial, and like, yeah, the, I mean, Hal Ashby played it, and uh, I think he got someone else to help him write the script. Aside from the, uh, someone did a, like a uncredited rewrite or whatever, but right, right. Uh, I think they made all the right moves. Right. Um, one of my favorite shots early on that I wanted to mention was. Before he even goes to uh, the the second old man's house, uh-huh. when he's walking up the median toward the <sighs> Capitol building, brilliant shot yeah. with, with the the umbrella and the briefcase mm-hmm. or the suitcase or whatever, and the cars are going on both sides of him. And again, it's just that that childlike sort of thing. Like I don't even know if he knows. Like he'd never been in a car, right? He said so. Yep. I've never been in an automobile, and he didn't know what an elevator was, and that was one of the great lines. Is where yeah the but the the butler uh-huh. thinks he's this hilarious guy. He does. He's like, how long do we stay in this room? This you know? is the smallest room in the house, and he's like, oh yeah, Chauncey, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the smallest room, yeah, right? Card. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there, and this part is kind of sad later on when he gets in, and the butler just sort of cracks up. And then quickly apologizes and said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were going to like, tell us one a, of those great zingers. <laughs> yeah. And, but he feels bad about it. And I felt bad that he didn't, that he felt bad. Right, right, right. You right. know, it was one of those things because Chauncey couldn't say, like, he just has to what sit joke? there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is, it's a tough um, role. Well, and, you know, I don't think we've got to this directly, but, you know, we've talked about how people see what they want to see. Mm-hmm. But he's this sort of distinguished looking man with a placid face mm-hmm. and he's very well dressed he has mm-hmm. good posture and he speaks slowly and deliberately yeah and for to do with most it. people on the planet that means authority figure yeah and so everybody projects onto him this is someone with authority uh-huh. and so that man was trying to he was he was trying to connect with him he thought he was going to do one of those jokes and yeah. then suddenly he's like Oh, I can't do this I've because I've overstepped the yeah. line, and you know, and, and chances just sitting there has no idea. The first, if I can kind of circle back, right, you know, before he even uh-huh. f- before he even got uh, um, into the house, the first time where this happens is where maybe right after the scene you were just talking about, where he walks down the median uh-huh. and he's near the White House or something, and he sees a tree, right, and he touches the tree, and then he sees a police officer mm-hmm. and says the stupidest. He's like, "This tree is sick. We need to help it." Yeah, and because he's if if he was if he was a homeless black man right. or if it was a if it was me or a teenager that said that yep. you know that cop would be like fuck off and get out of here yeah, yeah. but because of the way he looks and the way he's dressed That's right. he literally calls it in uh-huh. he calls it in yeah, yeah. because <laughs> this guy looks like someone that you have to listen to That's right he know? could have been a senator or whatever Yeah exactly uh, it's funny you were talking about the authority there's that great scene later with uh once he finally gets on TV and he sees some of the reactions of the people from his past. Right. And there is the African-American woman who worked with him as, I guess she was like the housekeeper. Best line in the movie. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, it is a white man's world to be sure. Mm-hmm. And that Seen line, man, mm-hmm. this is 1979. And yep. that was so 2020 relevant. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you time. were talking about so many things I was picking up on 
uh, that it could have been in like a contemporary film. Yeah, yeah. And she flat out says it. She's like, like it is a white man's world. Yeah. Like that guy doesn't have two brain cells to rub together. Oh no, she she said like uh, rice pudding. Yeah. Dumb as a rice. Ca- <laughs> dumb as a jackass. <laughs> Ain't nothing but rice pudding between his ears. Yeah, that's such a great line. Yeah, yeah. Rice pudding between his ears. Dumb as a jackass. I love that. But and and uh, uh, I, I don't want to keep doing this, but that is not in the book either. Oh, okay. Louise is dead. In the, oh, begin, in, the, in the in the in the book, so he's I'm by himself. so glad that they brought her in because yeah. that whole issue would have not would have not been addressed, and I think is one of the most important parts of the book, and most of the like one of the most relevant things in the totally. movie that continues on today. Yeah, I mean, it's a comment on race mm-hmm. uh, and uh, status and privilege. Yep. Oh, just so relevant to today, especially with what's going on in the White House right now. Yep. Uh, someone who I mean. <laughs> The parallels are there with the television and yeah, I um, I, you know, when I first when I rewatched this and then I started kind of reading up and there was all these pieces on how oh, this is oh, this is exact, it's being there all over again. And at first, I kind of pushed back, not that I didn't see it, but I thought, well, there's some significant differences. First, the similarities. Mm-hmm. We, you know, forty five, uh, our president now mm-hmm. is obsessed with television. This guy's obsessed with television. Yeah. 45 is uh, um, he says things and tweets things and then people interpret them in different ways and see read what they want to read and hear what they want to hear. Those are both there. But of course, our president is sort of really kind of a hateful and sort of – He is a con man. He's a con man. Whereas, uh, you know, Chauncey, you know, Chance is pure. Yeah. He's he's an he's an innocent. He doesn't even realize he's an innocent. Yeah. He doesn't. You know. He's almost he's almost not sentient in a way. Do you yeah. Know what I mean, he's almost like a single cell amoeba that just goes from television to I know. to lunch. Louise cooks me lunch. You know. And yeah. So, it's interesting in the in the framework of looking at a film character, right? Because a lot of times you either identify or there's something about the character that, like, he plays it so just flat, right? Right. That it's interesting that you root for him, um, like you want him to be okay. Yeah, but why? Right, you want him. You know, you're like you worry that he's about to be found out when it really yeah. he really should be found out because he could really do damage to the world if somebody he misinterprets could. something he says. And he know? would probably be taken care of in some way. Yeah, he would probably be put somewhere. Right, but instead he's falling into like. He's like a breath away from the White House by the end of this movie. Exactly. He's, uh, you know, palling around with uh, the Russian diplomat. And that's another great, uh, that's another great, you know, um, misunderstanding or reading what you want to read uh-huh. where uh, the guy's like, you know, I think you, you must, or he says, we're not too far apart, you and I. And he goes, yes, our chairs are right, right. next to each other. <laughs> you know, and then he, go, you know, the Russian guy spins into this narrative and then he's like, I think you like Kreloff's fables. And I looked up Kreloff's fables. It was basically uh-huh. a Russian guy who did a lot of sort of, um, you know, uh, uh, fables. So he started with Aesop and then kind of moved into yeah. more uh, Slavic culture stuff. But then he just recites some of one, I guess, in yeah. Russian. And, you know, and Chance giggles because he's never, he, yeah. you know, he talked funny is right. basically probably uh-huh. what's going on in his mind. Yeah. And because he laughed and because it was a joke, he's like, I knew it. I knew you yeah. spoke Russian. You uh-huh. know, and then I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> you know, how far can this go? And apparently it could almost go to the presidency. Well, know? it's interesting. Interesting because Ruby is four and a half, and mm-hmm. um, you remember this from when your kids were young, pre-sarcasm, right? Before they understand what that means, everything is so. It's like Chauncey. Everything is face value, right? 
Everything is taken as what it's the literal. words are yeah. and literal that is coming out of your mouth. Right. And I will be sarcastic about stuff like, oh, that's that's fantastic. That's great. And she's, she's like, like, why did you say this? fantastic. Yeah, How could it? you say that? I'm like, it's sarcasm. Maybe you'll understand it one day. But uh-huh. he plays it like that, except he doesn't even have the personality of a four-year-old. Right. You know, he plays it just so flat. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty risky, I think. Sure. Because it's not a lot to draw you in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it very much leaves you on the sidelines as a viewer, I think, because you can't relate to the guy. You're rooting for him, but not because, you know, it, it, Forrest Gump, they took it too far in the other direction. Right. They made, you know. Well, he had a personality where where Chance is a blank canvas and yeah. everybody just paints on him. They just paint That's what right. they want on him. And and he's like you, whatever the empty empty vessel or whatever Sellers himself said. Right. He's just this empty canvas that people project what they want to see on yeah. him. Where, you know, guys like the president or uh, Forrest Gump, they right. have, you know, for better or worse, they have their own opinions and personality uh-huh. and those kind of quirks that come through. Where this guy is, uh, you know, not even I was going to say a shapeshifter, but he's not trying to shapeshift. No. He's just this thing that. You know, shows you what you want to see. Yep. Yeah. Everyone is projecting onto him what they want to hear. Right. And it, it can get a little frustrating at times, too, but not because, like, someone listened to him. He really has something to say because he doesn't. Right. <laughs> um, they, but they all fi- are like, filling in the blanks, man. Yeah. I think his fresh perspective uh-huh. is so enlightening. I you know, know, they're all just like, okay, all right. Or all he's right. so funny. He's <laughs> so straightforward. Uh, Shirley MacLaine, that, that the lovemaking scene. You know, one of the, one of the great lines is, "I like to watch Eve." I like to watch, and yeah. she, of course, takes that as as I want to. Uh, he wants me to masturbate in front of him, right? <laughs> one of the things that they cut out of the movie, and probably understandable for the time, nineteen seventy nine, uh-huh. was you remember the 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 gay character comes up and says, "If you you know, would you like, have you ever had sex with a man?" And right. Somehow it gets to I like I like to watch, and it goes, "Hold on, I'll go get Warren." Right. You know, <laughs> which, which was hilarious. Um, in the book, he actually goes up with somebody to a oh, room, really? and the guy takes his clothes off and starts masturbating, and somehow oh, wow. he gets his shoe on him or whatever. But in in Chance's mind, he thinks the guy's sick because he's twitching and moaning, and right. And, and so he comes back downstairs. He says, "Where are you been?" He says, "Oh, I was with yada yada. He was sick." He says, oh, you're so considerate, taking care oh, of him. A, another case where yeah. just he, these in these and you, and you think when he's happening how. How is this going to happen? But, yeah. But it you know, comes through, stumbles through it somehow. Yeah. I think it's interesting. The um... Mr. Magoo. That's who he reminds me of. Mr. Oh, Magoo. Right. <laughs> it just came to me. Yeah. But like Mr. Magoo is just walking through uh-huh. life. And, and has he would no walk idea. off the side of the building and it would just happen to be when the elevator cage got there. Right. Or or he would land on a bank robber and everybody uh-huh. would think, oh, you saved the day. Right. But, you know, Magoo. he's sort of. Totally. Yeah. That, I see more comparison to that than Forrest Gump. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. 
If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I thought it was interesting how he handled death uh, because he he faces it twice with the, both of the old men in his life. Right. And he immediately just kind of turns to the TV mm-hmm. uh, in both cases or leaves. Like that's his, his blanket essentially. Right. Sure, sure. Um, he doesn't understand what's going on. But again, with like there, there's never any emotion at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people read that as like a stoicism. Right. You know, there's a single tear in that last scene. That's right. There is. There is. There? And that and which was that mo- much more powerful because there yeah. had been nothing before that. That's it was right. like he really they finally cared. gave you something. He, re- he really cared for that guy where the guy he lived with his entire life. He was ready to watch Captain Kangaroo, you know, yeah. as soon as he died. But but uh, not to diminish what you're saying. It no, was, but that's there's right. so little emotion. And, uh-huh. he, and then he may have had that tear and gone right back to. He would have tuned out into anything that was on television. Yeah, that's that. really important, though. Like they, they did – they gave you that one little nugget, that right. one tiny little tear. Right. Uh, which was super impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, as the – it feels like a sort of a 70s mystery in some ways. Like the net is closing on him. Right. Uh, as the movie goes on, the whole sort of second hour of the movie – 
has these various storylines where they're everybody's getting, investigating him. They're and, getting closer yeah. and closer, mm-hmm. and like there's nothing on this guy. Right, He's, right, right. You know, they're taking his fingerprints off of a glass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like for real. They know that his suits were made in 1920. Oh, that's right. You know, but that's yeah. it. That's all they know about him. You know, no fingerprints, no hospital records. Yeah. And so he's made into this man of mystery and he's just do 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 just kind of walking around. I could see them remaking this movie. I hope they don't. I hope they don't. This is one of those I mean, certain remakes would be good and it would depend on who it is. I've, I mean, I would see it if it came out, but I I hadn't even thought about that. That should be something I should have prepared for this for this podcast, if it was remade, who who, who could pull it off? Oh, man. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I can see s- Paul Rudd doing it. I mean, even though he's a really animated guy, I, yeah. can see, I can see him doing the flat. I can see him pulling that off. Or if they did, if they wanted to, like, I'm sure like a Jim Carrey or Will Ferrell would die to do something like this. Oh, yeah. To really yeah. kind of take a turn. Yeah, either, either of them, either of them could pull this off. Either yeah, of them could pull but there, there's off. so much here that is so relevant. Yeah, uh, yeah, because these days it would be internet research, and there would be parallels. You know, you play the president in a different way, right? Because Jack Warden isn't a bad guy in this movie necessarily, right? As the president, um, he gets the endorsement, yeah, <laughs> which is interesting. How would this movie play out if it was in in present day with with social media and the in the twenty four hour news cycle? It would be all. It would be more like it wouldn't be nearly as quiet and slow burny mm-hmm. it would be a bigger deal um the president would be like some big buffoon mm-hmm. i think it'd just be more over the top in kind of every way can you imagine chauncey gardner's instagram feed <laughs> I, I mean it would totally work he would just be staring off into the sunset and it right. would be like flowers if the roots trees. are strong yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> be like jack handy <laughs> jack nice 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 i think you turned me on to jack handy too <laughs> i'm just gonna say you turned me on to everything jinky just glad I turned you on, sweetheart. <laughs> so uh, I guess, you know, we can get into the ending. Yeah. One of the classic, most most classic, unim- uh, not unambiguous, uh, ambiguous endings in movie history, I think. Right. Uh, the the old man dies, uh, like you mentioned before, the pallbearers, you hear the whispers, the way they intercut that last scene is just so great. Yeah. The yeah. editing is just so wonderful. Did you notice the Illuminati sign on the I did. on the grave? Yeah. Wow. That was <laughs> that was uh, I didn't notice that the last time I saw it. Yeah, the Illuminati and I think it even says life is a state of mind mm-hmm. on the grave, which is the last line of the movie. <gasps> right. So right. the president is eulogizing Rand mm-hmm. and uh true to form uh or true to his nature, uh, Chauncey or Chance has wandered away into the woods. To look at flowers and trees, mm-hmm. and to be himself, and he and if you've never like if you haven't seen the movie and you want to and you've gotten this far, stop listening. Yeah, because I don't want to ruin it. Right, it is one of the great great endings in movie history. Yeah. All right, if you're still here, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the book, like we said in the original script, it doesn't end this way. But he goes to the edge of the pond. And walks. Starts walking across it. On water. And if you wondered if he was really walking on water, he kind of pauses and then sticks his umbrella down into it. Right. And then gets up and Which then... apparently was an improv moment. Was it? Yeah. Peter Sellers stopped and put the umbrella down. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they built a little pier a few inches below the water line. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the great filmmaking decisions of all time, I think, is to change that ending. Yeah. Because it, it really makes... It's one of those endings that makes you rethink everything you've seen. Right. And 
two bottles of wine later after the movie, you're discussing it with people exactly, on what exactly. you think it means. Yeah. So let's hear it. What do you think it means? Oh, I wanted to ask you first, but uh, well, I, I've kind of changed over time. I think when I, when I first watched it, I thought it was this whole comment on on religion in general. Me too. I thought, uh, oh, this is, is he a, Jesus? Uh, this he is. He's not. He is not Jesus, but it's basically trying to say Jesus. Maybe Jesus was dim-witted, or maybe mm-hmm. Jesus was just a normal guy, and people saw in him what they wanted to see. Right. And then, you know, fast forward a hundred years of interpretation and interpretation and misinterpretation. Right. And then he's all of a sudden maybe this guy really was just a carpenter who told a couple stories about sheep and goats. Right. And you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, and and then he was sort of turning. In. So I thought it was this total commentary. Yeah. On that. Now, um, you know. And a part of it, though, I thought that was kind of a Pull cheap... Pull down a little bit. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I kind of thought that was a bit of a cheap joke at the end because there was no... But it was sort of a one-two punch. And mm-hmm. that maybe that's where I was, too. And I Wait, was what pretty, cheap joke? The uh, All of a sudden, buh Jesus uh, is a dumbass. Right. Do you know what I mean? And I was yeah. like... And, uh, but maybe at that time in my life, that, uh-huh. that's what I, I projected onto that. Yeah. Aha, this is a very sharp criticism of organized religion and blah, right. blah, 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 I was blah, blah. the same way, dude. And we were both church boys. So yeah. And that's maybe no that's, that's just where I was at that point. And I, oh, it's all a sham and blah, blah, blah. Now I've, I've kind of looked back at it as sort of a life as a state of mind, mm-hmm. which is the last line in it. And it's sort of this idea of, uh, you know he's he's been able to do everything. It's almost like he's some supernatural creature right. that can do whatever he wants. Yeah, and people are sort of charmed by it. And so the water is just as is is under his sway uh-huh. as much as anyone else. Is that that is that the accurate? Well, uh, uh, you know, d- there depiction? is no right answer for sure. Because it, is there anything? Did Ashby ever no, say anything? No, not at all. I I I looked, and there is no there is no right answer. I think he very much wanted it to be open to interpretation. Right. Um, I saw it as a religious allegory as well when mm-hmm. I was younger. But now it's a little bit more like he doesn't know he can't walk on water. Right, right, right. And that's true to his character to make that leap of faith. Not religious. Right. But um, to step out onto it. Uh, but it's really happening. So – it, I mean, that's the cool thing about movies like this. I think it's – or is it really happening? Like sure, you, sure. you don't have to – if you start nitpicking. Or is this the final metaphor, right? Right. This, is this the final metaphor that, that we are projecting onto him? Yeah. Everybody, you know, everybody thinks he's speaking <laughs> in metaphors. That's really funny. The that's entire time. Totally what it is. You know? <laughs> it's like the characters spend the whole movie doing that. And at the very end, the audience is doing that. Yeah. Wow. I think we figured we solved it out. It. We figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great ending, though. And it's really – it's one of those that, you know, when they do these big uh, Oscar award uh, supercuts of all these great moments in cinema history. Right. Inevitably, there's a shot of Chauncey Gardner walking there across that pond. There has to be. Pond. There has to be, yeah. You always see it. It's like they're singing in the rain. There's uh, there's Rain Man. There's <laughs> right. this. There's right. Franklin, my dear, I don't give a damn. Like this is one of those cinematic moments uh, and it almost wasn't there. But do you think this movie is on everybody's radar? I mean, no. you you're more attuned to those things now. But I always thought of this as sort of this small little film that I knew, but I don't know if it's one of those. I in think the, Hal Ashby in the pantheon is, uh, as a whole. Like when I list off Last Detail and Harold and Maude, like sure. film people know right. who, what those movies are. But 
when you say great filmmakers of the seventies, people probably start talking about Scorsese and sure, Coppola sure. and uh, well, Lucas. That's to be debated, but um, <laughs> I don't think Hal Ashby is on the tops of everyone's list. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and he should be because that run of films was incredible. It really was. Yeah, and he had a way about him and his movies. Harold and Maude, you know, they were all they weren't very just sort of straightforward Hollywood mm-hmm. films. Uh, yeah. he always had a unique angle on everything I think it was a really a great matching of material actor director all coming together for yeah, this yeah, movie yeah it was I like think. the yeah, was really magic perfect. combination special sauce right yeah walking across that water mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just the best I could watch the ending a hundred times yeah yeah and I'm trying I think Mad Magazine ruined it for me <laughs> I, I can't believe you the saw the Mad first. Magazine <laughs> version of that first but I mean I didn't see this movie until much later it might have been college right uh, that's probably where I saw it first. Yeah, I mean, I didn't see it as a kid for sure. And I talk a lot on on the show those early college years when, uh, because of people like you, and then getting the job at Vision Video and really going <gasps> I down that road about of you working there. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. That early '90s independent cinema boom from Jarmish to Spike Lee uh, was just like it was such a great time. It was to be 21 years old. Yeah. And like really exploring that with stuff. a whole room full of movies to watch, yeah, whole yeah, room yeah. full of movies. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, we would sit around and record. Uh, what's his name? Who's the preacher? They ended up doing the Reverend Bob Tilton. Reverend Bob Tilton. Yeah, put your hand on the screen. Yeah, put your hand on the screen, see, ladies and gentlemen. You were YouTube man. Like later on on YouTube, people would do him like farting and stuff. Uh huh. Whereas you guys would just record that shit off late night TV, and we would sit around and watch it. Clay and I had tons of stuff. I remember us watching that. Uh, that, you know, Geraldo Rivera getting hit with a chair in the nose, yes, like dude. in slow-mo, play-by-play. And Every then... time I came, you, you guys were YouTube. <laughs> Every time I came over, you had something on a video cassette that you were recorded that we would right. all sit around and watch and who laugh was, at. Who was the tap-dancing bandit? Do you remember that oh, guy? Oh, uh, Jesco White. Jesco, Jesco White, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that era of stuff. That's right, man. Yeah. I totally yeah. forgot about that. <laughs> he was great. What was his name? Yeah. Oh, I can't remember exactly what it was. No, no, no. It was Jesco, but he was the the whatever. Tap dancing bandit or something something like that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, we would listen to uh, Dr. Dre's The Chronic and play Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. Yep. That was that was Clay and Jason Hughes. I was not a big fan of Dre, but we did. Oh, really? No, I was never a big. I mean, I liked a lot of hip hop. I was more in Public Enemy back then. Sure. But Luna and Camper Camper Van Beethoven, yeah. and there was tons of stuff we we all love too. Yeah. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. I still love Luna. Just saw them recently, uh, and I'm trying to get Chuck D on the show. And oh I've, wow! I finally got holy a, crap an insider connection who's someone who knows him personally, and they talked to him, and he was like, he literally has like a hundred interviews lined up, uh-huh. and he said, but you know, I'm into it, but it's not going to be anytime soon. Mm, <laughs> so. Mm. If, if that ever happens, I'll let you know so you can, like, accidentally be in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would love that. I would love that. Yeah. yeah he's he's a guy that's, like, high on my list for, you know, dream guests. Wow. I yeah. would love to sit down with him. I mean, it's no Christopher Walken talking about Footloose, right? <laughs> Come on. Dude, I couldn't even listen to that. <laughs> really? Well, I was so uncomfortable for you. <laughs> well, you knew it was a gag, right? No. That wasn't real. That was a guy. That was Kevin Pollack. <sighs> 
So you thought that you, – you, Well, you no, I just, I just saw it. It was an April a, Fool's episode. Uh, oh, okay, because I was like, what the hell? How? Yeah. And so then you're like, <laughs> oh, I'm so, I'm so nervous about this. So, I don't know if your publicists do that. Yeah, and if then you don't he's, like awkward uh, – And then he started, and it was too awkward. I uh-huh, was like – You could do I was, it. Afra- <laughs> I was no, so nervous for you. I turned it off. I didn't even see the date when it came out. Oh, uh, that's funny. Yeah, it was an April Fool's thing. <laughs> Kevin <laughs> Pollock, the actor, is a, is a master impressionist, and we cooked that one up. Oh, classic. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, classic. Well, it's I funny because some people are, fooled. are fooled and some people are like, ah, oh, that was the worst walk-in I've ever heard. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, this is so much fun. Oh, it was. You got any final thoughts on being there? No, no. I think I think we I think we cracked it. Yeah. I think it's the final metaphor. We solved it. We're the we are the <laughs> painters of the canvas, man. Nice. Uh <laughs> you should come on again next time you come through town. I'd like we'll that. We'll just make this a regular thing. Yeah, right on. That'd All be right. fun. Thanks, brother. All right. All right. Perfect. That was great. Yeah, very cool. I had the questions answered too. You have some questions that uh Oh shit. Hold on. If you want that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, wait. Before we go, are we still recording? Uh, we got to do the, the five questions. I haven't done this with a real guest in so long. We've been doing so many, like, roundtables. Oh, right. Okay. And, like, people okay. in the office that it fell off my radar. So what was uh, – let me see if I remember. What was the first movie you saw in a theater? Um, it was funny. I – I had I you know since I'm in the states I went and asked my mom about it. She's, oh really? And she says that the first movie I saw was Herbie the Love Bug oh, at yeah. the Fox. Uh huh. At the Fox, like you know, probably in a stroller or something uh-huh. when it came out when the Fox still showed movies. But I mean, this is just how many brain cells are gone. The only, the first movie I remember seeing in a theater, um, kind of the it, it mixes with your second question about our movie. I remember sneaking into DC Cab. Oh yeah, the one like I think Bill Maher and Mr. T uh-huh. or somebody is in it. Yep. Like some ridiculous movie. It was the first time I saw boobs on a screen. Yeah, and I remember that vividly. Uh-huh. So yeah, DC Cab. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's the first movie that I rem- that I still remember uh-huh. on a screen. I'm sure I saw some. You know, I probably saw Bambi or something right, like that. Yeah. And I don't remember kid it. stuff. But sneaking in. So first R-rated movie. DC Cap? Uh, I think before that, the first R-rated movie I saw was Halloween in Gatlinburg in a hotel room, Cable. My cousin, older cousin, like foolishly said, hey, we're going to go watch Halloween in our hotel room. Do you want to watch it? I don't know what we were in Gatlinburg for. Yeah. But, and I went, sure. I didn't even know what it was. I thought it was like a Charlie Brown special. (laughs) And I saw Halloween at whatever age it came out and was on Cable in a hotel room. Uh Uh-huh. And I was afraid of the dark for years after that. Wow. Halloween really yeah. scared the shit out of me. Sure. And so, so, but I, it scares I still, the shit out of me now. I vividly, vividly remember that. And then, so how old were you? I should have looked up when it, you know, like I should have done sort of a backwards, but I had to be 10, you know, Jeez, maybe. I was way too <laughs> young to see that for sure. Uh-huh. I'd have to look at when it came out. I mean, what Jamie Lee Curtis was like. 17 or yeah, something she was young. so so I must have been much younger than Are that. Are you into horror movies? Not really. My girl is into it right now. Oh, really? And that was from Stranger Things. She went from cuz she's the same age as like yeah. the protagonist, yeah, right? Yeah. So I started looking up 
horror movies. And of course, you know, uh, preparing for this episode, I went and listened to Evil Dead because Evil Dead 2 uh, is one yeah. of my favorite movies of all time in Army of Darkness. Yeah. I used to watch that every Halloween uh-huh. until Keiko just couldn't take it right. anymore. <laughs> she's like, nope, because her birthday is Halloween. Oh, really? And she's like, I do not want to spend my birthday watching Blood Gush. Yeah. Can we do something else? You know, she'd actually, she didn't say that, but it was it So you was, watch it on the it was thir- implied. October 30th now? <laughs> I need to watch. I'm, I, I think my girl is uh, is uh, old enough to watch it now. Now, you know, a year ago, I tried to show her Kung Fu uh, Hustle, uh-huh. and it was too violent for her. This oh, okay. is just t- this. You, you'll be looking forward to this with Ruby when yeah. she gets thirteen. And within a year, she wants to watch it with right. me. Yeah, do you <laughs> know what I mean? Genuinely scary. Uh, which I'm too scared for. So <laughs> I may be watching some horror movies with her if she goes in that direction. But when I've tried to suggest some, she's like, "Dad, you don't get it. I want to watch it because it has people my age." Right. You know, I wanted to watch Stranger Things because there's people my age. I don't want to go see people stabbing each other unless there's a 13-year-old on screen. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, uh, okay. All right. So, And she sounds great. Yeah, she's cool. Uh, what is number three? Um, you, I think it was, uh, have you ever walked out or would you walk out of a movie? All right. Have you? Um, in general, I don't go to the theater as much. Did I, mean, I walk out of a movie with you? You did. Do Judge you remember Dredd? Which? Close. Close. What was it? We walked out of something and went into True Romance again, right? Demolition Man. Demolition Man. <laughs> yeah. That's I right. That's the last movie I can remember walking out of. I probably have walked out of I didn't of know one. if you were with me. I remember very I distinctly. I was. It was you and Chappie and uh-huh. maybe, maybe Clay. I, I can't remember. But, but I remember yeah. Brett being there for sure because yeah. I think he was the first one that said, uh, He was like, let's, let's get out of here. And we went and saw True Romance again. Again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, that was a, <laughs> that was a great decision. <laughs> so, yes, man. I have walked out of movies before, but I can't think of any. I think maybe I've walked out of one that – it was too scary for the kids when they were like young, but, yeah. I, can't, but I can't even remember what it was because we're it's weird in like places like Malaysia and Thailand. Sure, you will go to see Frozen uh-huh. and they will have a trailer for a slasher film uh-huh. before it. <laughs> yeah, they don't match it up, and they don't match it up. <laughs> and so the kids would be like, We have to leave now, and it's like, No, Frozen's not going to be like this. You yeah, know? I still remember in uh, Chiang Mai or something, but uh. I, there's some movie that I that I just misjudged how uh-huh. old they were and I've you know, walked out, but I can't even remember what it is now. <laughs> I remember seeing Pulp Fiction on opening day with you guys too <gasps> right. in Athens, right? Right, and right. that was such a big deal mm-hmm. because the Reservoir Dogs thing. Yeah, like, we it were wasn't into one that. Of those that was, that was when like, Quentin Tarantino was like an, an unknown, or at least unknown to us. I'm sure he was a unknown Hollywood. to a lot of people, but like because of Dogs, we were all like primed for that. We have to go first, see this, like yeah. noon showing yeah. Friday of Reservoir or uh, Pulp Fiction. I think we went to go see the opening the the opening night of uh, was it Bram Stoker's Dracula together too? Oh, really? Because well, I was just a big Gary Oldman about fan right. back then. I yeah, thought Gary Oldman could best. do no wrong. He's I've now great. learned that he can do well, wrong. Sure, but he's usually doing wrong to fund. <laughs> Some movie he wants to make himself or yeah. something like that. Yeah, so I'll forgive true. him for that. Uh, number four, I think, is one I usually tailor to the guest, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Oh, boy. What should I go with here then, Jinky? Um, all right. How about this? You're mm-hmm. an artist. Uh, what movie the, about an artist is is like your favorite? That's a good question. I've got a few that come to my mind already, but uh, I don't know if I like Basquiat. Basquiat's yeah. the first one that came to mind. That was good. There was one about Jasper Johns that Ed Harris was in. I didn't like. I don't know. He was. Um, uh, oh no, um, Pollock. Jackson Pollock. Jackson thank you, Pollock. thank you. I said Jasper Johns. Um, 
Trying to think of some others. There's one with Willem Dafoe doing Van Gogh, Van Gogh that I haven't seen yet. I haven't uh, seen that either. I thought I really liked uh, Salma Hayek's movie yeah. on uh, on Frida Kahlo, but also because now I know the whole backstory. Uh-huh. I don't know if you read that whole piece about her experience with Harvey Keitel yeah, yeah. and how he bullied her with Harvey that Weinstein. movie. Yeah. What did I say? Harvey, Harvey Keitel. Keitel. <laughs> oh, God. Poor guy. Um, so anyway, Weinstein was, you know, such yeah, a creep. And then, but for her to have been able to pull that off with all of that makes me love that movie even more. Yeah, for sure. But what, what are some others? I'm just, maybe I'm just drawing a blank no, here. No, Basquiat not... is certainly a great one. Um, which is the one that... Uh, or maybe I'm thinking because he is an artist, uh, Julian Schnabel. Schnabel, but he didn't make a movie about an artist. Oh, but okay. he's, his films are great. Yeah, I liked um, I liked the the stuff that uh, Bjork's husband did too. He's a he's an installation artist, a really famous guy that I can't remember his name right it's now. It's interesting. Andy Warhol has been in a bunch of, or someone playing Andy Warhol has mm-hmm. been in a bunch of films from. The Doors to, you know, he's popped up in a lot of movies right. as a character, but no one's ever really nailed a good, no. I shot Andy Warhol was good. I, but that, that Was, was less, that where Bowie played him? I can't remember. Bowie but that was more Warhol about the one of girl who shot him right. than him. Exactly. exactly. But um, yeah, a good Warhol biopic would be interesting. A good Warhol biopic would be good. Um, maybe a question, who would I want to see uh, uh well, a Dali film would be great. A great Dali film about Dali, not you know, not Dali. Di- I mean, Dali directing. I don't know if you ever saw that. That may have been some sort of uh, Clay and Jason YouTube thing. <laughs> did you ever see Dali's films, like the ones he did with Disney or the ones he did on his own? I don't think so. Dali has this one bit where this I don't know, this strange little midget comes up and hands him a piece of foil, uh-huh. and there's like a bust of some Greek god sitting on a piano next to him. And as he's looking at the screen, he's literally looking at you eye to eye, uh-huh. and he's fiddling with this piece of foil in his hand, and he's talking, and then he just shows it to you and he's made like a freeze like uh you know he's made the face of the bust wow. on there as he's talking to you it's insane it's wow. insane so i would love to see that we actually went to his mausoleum it's oh, a little amazing. north of barcelona uh-huh. and it's like it's a it's a museum in itself it's incredible so yeah would definitely like to see a movie about yeah uh dali's life i remember you telling me i got to get so many specific memories about you from college when you told me about when Dolly was on The Tonight Show, mm-hmm. and he put a duck on his head and said, right. Dolly is not, not crazy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, I remember you telling me that story one Dolly afternoon. Dolly is not crazy <laughs> at all. That's right. That's right. So, so I would, great. So Dolly would be great. I, you know, I'd like to see a Moneyball-type movie about Coons. Oh, wow. Because Coons is a controversial guy in how he produces his art and, uh-huh. and how he gets money. Same with Hearst, Damien Hearst. Yeah. Love him or hate him. Uh, he has he has played the art world in ways. Yeah. And, of course, Banksy. I mean, yeah, there you go. Oh, wow. You want to talk about art, art movies about artists, I consider Banksy an artist and Exit Through the Gift Shop. Oh, that was great. absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that was great. And it was funny, actually, the way I, we watched that was we bootlegged it and this this uh, he would have appreciated uh, this that Dutch friend of mine basically scout, uh, scouted out um, a roof in Omotesando in this area Tokyo where we used to hang out and so and got a projection screen and had a screening of it uh-huh. on the roof of on like a projection screen oh, so wow. we watched it That's like very you know, this, it was very it <laughs> felt it felt that way we all felt like we were rebelling in one way or another but we had to be quiet because yeah. it was like a residential building and nobody knew we were up there. <laughs> 
but it was fun. Are you still doing stuff? You still painting or? Dude, I wish I was. No, I mean, you know, I I, I still do some photography. Uh-huh. I try to nurture that in my kids too. Um, I haven't done I haven't done any real creative things for myself in a while, and I need to remedy that. For I still sure. have that crazy chalk that you did for me. I did one for you. Yes, dude, you gave me one when we when we moved away. I still wow. got it. Wow, wow! It's like a crazy sort of fluorescent uh, creature eating his own hand. He's doing something. I've got oh. it in my closet. I've kept it all these years. Next time you pull it out, I'm gonna frame snap, it. A, snap a shot of it and send it to me. Just I'd be curious to see what it is. Yeah, yeah so it's awesome. Wow. wow um, and then what's your deal in the movie theater? What do you set? What's your routine? Uh, I guess it's top. It depends on what country you're it de- in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, uh, yeah, I actually I put different things. As far as where I sit, I, I usually try to sit near the back on the aisle, uh, and it depends on which way the bathroom is. But, like, okay. you know, top. Top left center. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, where yeah. I like to be, or top right center. Um, as far as what I, you know, eat in there, uh-huh. it all depends on the theater. Yeah. In Japan, you can bring in stuff. Okay. You can just so I mean, I'll, I'll carry in sushi rolls and cans of beer. Uh-huh. Um, in Malaysia, you have to buy stuff there, and they don't have butter popcorn. They have like Earl Grey tea flavored popcorn or something. Oh, so wow. I'll get that, or I'll sneak stuff in. Uh huh. Um, then, uh, uh, Spain, usually just popcorn, I, a butter popcorn. I used as a kid, it was milk duds, right? But it was all milk duds, but yeah, then yeah. now it's popcorn in Mexico, uh, uh, Mexico's theater. It's, it's Takis and beer. Oh, uh, really? And beer. I always bring Takis and beer, but then, uh, in Japan, it'd be beer and senbei, that kind of stuff I just gave you that, uh-huh. uh, that, uh, I just, uh, brought a few little snacks for Chuck from, uh, from Japan and I would bring a couple of those bags in. I've only seen one movie in a different country. Oh, actually, that's not true. I saw um, the most recent Spike Lee movie in Australia. Oh, right. Um, but I saw Pulp Fiction. Brett and I saw Pulp Fiction in, I guess it was, where was that? We were in Vienna. Oh, right. Okay. So we went and saw Pulp Fiction in Vienna. Awesome. Because we just wanted a, a, a foreign sure. film experience. Right, right. Which wasn't a foreign film at all, of course, for us. <laughs> but uh, it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, theaters—they look the same all over. You yeah. Know? I mean, the theaters in in Thailand or in Spain, you know, were pretty much the same. The theater in Mexico, but the rules by which people, uh, um, you know, experience that. Right. I think I listened to the one I forgot her name, but your Princess Bride episode. Yes. And she was talking about how she was, uh, she was a shusher. Yeah, Molly. And uh-huh. I am a I am a shusher too. Uh-huh. <laughs> I actually just did it uh I did it when we went to go see Knives Out the oh, other night. Really? And my, my kids get embarrassed. Uh-huh. But the woman in front of us was on her phone. I mean she wasn't like, talking talk, uh, No, she wasn't talking, so this isn't shushing, but she was literally yeah. just like with her phone on all bright and I was just leaned over and was like, Excuse me, could you turn that off, you know, yeah. just for an hour and a half? And my kids are like, oh god, yeah. dad, why'd you do that? What'd you she know? do? What'd the lady do? She turned it off. Oh, okay. You know, but in 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 Mexico, it seemed like every other person was doing that. And really, I just, I just would give up. I would get the people to turn it off near me. But in Taiwan, ten you know, ten fifteen years ago, people would answer the phone. They'd be really? like, "What? Oh, I'm just in the movie. What are you doing?" Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so, but I think those rules are changing. But, Interesting. Uh, but yeah, but yeah. etiquette, movie etiquette. You know, the, you still get the same. Uh, you get you still get the same announcements. Please turn off your right. phone. Please don't talk. But you know some Movies people take those as suggestions. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, when you come back, we'll have to talk more about that because that's fascinating. Yeah, to yeah. me, sure, it'd be great. It's like people talk. People love movies all over the world. 
And I think they in do. America, you get a very America-centric mind mm-hmm. set. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like people love movies everywhere. They do. And, and I'll, uh, I'll leave you with this one fact that, you, you know, if you find this stuff interesting, you uh-huh. might find this interesting. When we were, when we were living in Malaysia, we mm-hmm. lived in Penang, this little island close to the Thai border. And super fancy theaters, you know, that were freezing cold. Like, you know, I mm. literally – I walked into flip-flops and I brought a fleece because right. it was so cold. <laughs> but uh, when movies came there – and this is advice when people ask me about going to Malaysia. If they want to go to a movie, which we recommend, it's a nice experience. But you need to see the movie right away mm. because in Malaysia, they have the latest Hollywood blockbusters in English. But then they also have movies in Bahasa. They have movies in Tamil. They have movies in uh, Fukian Chinese wow. and you know, Cantonese and Mandarin. And so the turnover is so fast because they're so catering the, the to English multiple languages. the English language version for like a week? A week. Unless it's like – you know, Star Wars right. or something like that. Yeah. But if it's just a if it's just a middle of the road blockbuster, uh-huh. you know, a Knives Out would stay for a week, wow, max, maybe four days. So it's like as soon as it comes, you got to like, go. We, we got to go. <laughs> we got to go see it. You know, That's so. so cool. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, dude. Hey, my pleasure. And uh, we'll definitely get you back in here again. I'd love that. All right. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I hope we did not talk too much about the old days uh, to the detriment of the show, but we were catching up a little bit, and uh, I hope you got a nice little peek into that. Jason, uh, it was so good to have him in here. I love him like a brother, and it was so good to reconnect, and we are going to keep in better touch from now on. We made that pledge to each other. A lot of great thoughts on being there, just as I knew uh, he would. I knew he'd be a great guest because Jason has great taste, and he is a smart dude. So thanks, Jason, for coming in here. Thanks to you all for listening, um, and we will see you next time. Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. 
Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.